song that I know. We're just gonna let you keep going. Keep keep it up, dude. That's keep that's all I got. That's all I got. Keep it going for Eddie. Come on, keep it going for Eddie. Now? That that was the best part of uh the SNL fortieth anniversary last night was when when Eddie Murphy came on stage and after Chris Rock gave him a great introduction, the crowd's going crazy and he's just Eddie's just like, Keep it going, keep it going for Eddie. Or Eddie Murphy, not Eddie Johnson. Freudian slip there. <laughs> I just want everyone to know that that might see this part that I uh, don't know anything about cats is what I learned tonight. Cats the animal or cats the musical or both? But then that I had to be informed that that was a song from Cats. It's the song from Cats. And I will forget. <laughs> it's available on PBS. You could just like watch the PBS version. Like we I can barely find time to watch the shows I actually want to watch, much less do homework uh, so that you, your <laughs> musical songs register in my brain. Uh, I like that. I, I don't have time to watch the shows I want to watch, let alone Cats. Yeah. <laughs> Spoken like a true musical snob, Jason. You, you're going <laughs> to... No, I, I leaders rest assured, uh, Cats and other musicals are all fitting in the same category in this instance. <laughs> Cats is the <laughs> longest-running musical of all time. I do know that because I've seen uh, commercials on TV. <laughs> and I bet everyone listening thought that we were going to open with a discussion about the snowstorm that's currently destroying the District of Columbia and environs. But no, we went with cats. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I am Adam Taylor, joined as always by Broadway sensation Ben Bromley and Broadway Hater, critic, uh, disinterested party, Broadway, Jason Anderson. We are all from blackandredunited.com, where you can find us writing about DC United, the U.S. national teams, and lots more. Well, a little more. Not lots more. A little more. We've got a good show for you tonight. We are going to talk about DC United's uh, preseason tournament win down in Austin, Texas. We are going to talk about a little bit of DC United roster news and we are going to go through just a couple broader major league soccer items before we do any of that though jason what are you drinking uh i did not have time to pick up beer on my way home as i was trying to beat the snow i do not have a car that is cut out for winter driving whatsoever um so uh i i don't really have any beer left at all so it's gonna be a tough two days but on the plus side i do have a lot of liquor uh so (laughs) so it's not gonna be that tough no, it will seem tough right now, but later I'll be fine. Uh, right now I have a uh, a double of Covassier because uh, if it's going to be a snowstorm, uh, I figure I should retaliate by just going uh, comically over the top with um, the fanciest booze that I've got in the house. I like it. I like your thinking, Anderson. Uh, and I hope for a, a live tweet of hilarious drunken misadventures later. It could happen. I'm definitely not going anywhere tomorrow. I'm, I'm going to be trapped here. So those are some of my favorite pieces. It could of, turn fun or it could turn really dark. Who knows? Straight out, straight out of Crofton. Uh, that that happened in the past. <laughs> ben, Crofton's on the other side of the county. Go ahead. Ben, what are you drinking tonight? So we were able to get enough supplies for the giant storm that is uh, str- coming straight on to Richmond, but I decided not to use those supplies. Instead, I, stu- I decided to honor one my college roommate by uh, – when we would have pet band parties in our apartment all throughout uh, junior and senior year – what? 
Nerd. Duh. Uh, <laughs> he would only drink, my roommate would only drink apple juice and vodka. That was the only thing he ever drank. Okay. And so in honor of him, I, I, you know my uh, hatred for vodka. So instead I'm drinking apple juice and rum in honor of my uh, college roommate who was also a soccer lover and a DC United fan. So if Kenny, you are listening, cheers. Well, that no offense, Kenny. That sounds kind of awful. Kenny would Kenny would admit that's awful. Okay, Okay. and yet you're drinking it willingly. You know, what kind of rum do you have? (laughs) Cruzon. Okay, it's a it's a decentish rum. I guess my other question is, I didn't know you hated vodka. I thought you just uh, drank bad vodka when it was time for punishment. No, I I do actually hate vodka. Oh, okay. Yes. I which also may, do, except may, in limited contexts. Which yeah. made these straight shots of vodka even more heinous for me. Yeah. It, that takes it up a notch. Yeah. See, I've, I've always seen vodka as um, when efficiency has trumped other other concerns, it's time for vodka. No, no, I, um, I, I actively oh. hate vodka. I Especially like, if you mix it with Gatorade. If you, if you really don't have time, but you need to be drunk, uh, <laughs> throw those two together. At that point, maybe you should reconsider what put you in the position to be thinking my primary goal is no it's it's friday you have to have some fun friday friday also there's a metro ride in front of you maybe uh and it's gonna take a little while to get to the fun so you've gotta you know you don't want to show up cold gotta get down on friday right ben ben gets it I'm just old, I guess. I don't know. I'm the oldest one here. <laughs> <laughs> but we established earlier today that Adam I just is spent, the ancient one. I just spent my early and mid-twenties doing very reckless things while on the way into D.C. to get drunk further. That's all. And sleep under tables. Sometimes. <laughs> it's a good way to keep get people to leave you alone. <laughs> I would say it's a judgment-free zone, but we all know that's a lie. <laughs> Adam, what I am, are you drinking? I am drinking an old overhaul Manhattan tonight. Um, it, it's good to ward off the, the chill that is certainly coming, or already here, because some of us had to turn off our space heater for sound quality reasons. He means himself. <laughs> Adam had to turn off his space heater for sound quality reasons. <laughs> I thought that was pretty well implicit no, no, I, in my comment. Let's, but. Let's, let's be as blunt as a hammer tonight. <laughs> Jason, of course, had some vodka and Gatorade before the show, before the Quebec. No, I, he, I, he wanted actually, to go to from one extreme to the other. No, I had I had a delicious pork chop meal cooked in a skillet, and I didn't even uh, have to turn the fire detector off. It was awesome. Life is a series of small victories. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Speaking of small victories, um, DC United won a preseason tournament this weekend, uh, winning games on Friday and Sunday to claim the ATX Pro Challenge down in Austin, Texas. We want the Dillo! The most important thing about that entire tournament has nothing to do with DC United other than the fact that they now own the coolest trophy in all of sports, and that is the Dillo. It is a... a, I don't know if it's a stuffed armadillo or just an armadillo statue, but it is an armadillo wearing a Stetson with a sheriff's badge, and two six-shooters in its belt. It is every bit as awesome as it sounds, and it is the coolest trophy in the world. Ben, back me up on this. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's basically like 
a uh, cast member of Deadwood. Uh, I think it's probably Timothy Oliphant's sidekick. So in the Saturday morning cartoon version of Deadwood, this armadillo is definitely a character. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Um, And yes, and it's also delightful that DC United now has as many armadillo trophies as the New York Red Bulls have actual trophies. That is a fun sentence to say. It is. Often and repeatedly. And all the time. So DC United won, like I said, two games. They beat the host, Austin Aztecs, two to nothing on Friday night, uh, leading with a reserve-heavy squad for the first hour or so before bringing in the starters. Uh, Both goals were actually scored by the reserves. Um, And then the starters played about 70 minutes on Sunday to beat FC Dallas one to nothing. Uh, Before we talk about the goals, Jason, I want to talk about the two clean sheets that that our defense kept. Uh, What did you make of the defensive performance of the black and red this weekend? Uh, Well, against Austin, um, it wasn't too much of a challenge. Uh, They kept a pretty strong offside trap. They were very organized, Uh um, that early group. Um, That was the um, group, including uh, Alexander Robinson or Florida man, uh, who's not actually from Florida, which is kind of sad, actually. Um, It turns out he's Costa Rican. Yeah, Costa Rica, man, there's no Twitter account noting that – I guess twi- uh, the men of Costa Rica do not do things like end up naked on a roof with a gun um, on a regular basis. Maybe it happens once in a while. I don't know. Um, but uh, generally, you know, Austin really struggled. They, they were trying um, to play with some sort of um, build up from the back, but they struggled to get out of – or really beyond – the midfield, their their own half of the midfield third, I guess, if you want to divide the field in the sixth. Um, and so they had to play long a lot. They tried to play in behind, um, which is, you know, a good way to solve the problem A. problem. That, but they had the second problem, which was that it just kept going offside. Um, whenever anything promising happened, they just got caught offside. And, and I know that they – uh, their players and fans disagreed on the goal that they had called back for offside, but it looked pretty clear that um, – the striker uh, Giorgio was offside. Um, so that's a good sign for the reserve group to already be able to run an offside trap with that level of organization. Cause that's something that doesn't just happen. Uh, you know, you don't say let's play an offside trap and it just works. Um, so that was a, a positive. Um, the, in the second game against Dallas, obviously Dallas is a far stronger team on the Wait, attack. Before, than, before we get okay. to FC Dallas, who right. do you think, who do you think was running the offside trap in that reserve group? Was it Kofi Opare or was it, Rashawn McKenzie? Uh, my guess would be Opare, just because um, he's the one person who's been around for a little while uh, on the team. Um, and he is but, known as an organizer, Yeah, he, he even have, as a young guy. He, he does have some of those qualities, so it could have been him. Um, but but it's, it's a little hard to say, um, given that, you know, that, that group of four, it's, it's hard to see exactly how they fit together. Um, but I would guess that it was Opare, um, or it might have just been... Um, because it was such a ad hoc uh, maneuver, it might have just been, uh, you know, the group sort of sensing it that Austin was always going to run offside. Maybe, um, maybe they figured out on the field that Giorgio, because I think Giorgio was called for offside almost. It was almost always, almost always him. Um, they might have figured out early that he just couldn't time his runs correctly and just decided to see if it would work, and it just kept working. Um, but it's it's hard to tell in the context of a preseason game. Um. 
actually, it might have been um, a better question for people that were there. They might have been able to hear who was doing the shouting uh, because there were about 20, 25 uh, United fans down there. Um, some Including, of them, uh, Blasian says one of yes. the contributors to the site, right? And, and, and we, I'm hoping that he, he, uh, actually did manage to drink with the armadillo trophy. I don't know that he did, but you know, when you're drinking with an armadillo trophy, you're not necessarily going to stop everything to tell people, Hey, I'm drinking with this trophy. You're just going to live in that moment and, uh, enjoy something that, that maybe doesn't happen very often in life. So you were going to say the uh, FC Dallas is obviously a much better attacking team than the USL expansion Austin Aztecs. Yeah. Uh, you know, better than most MLS teams going forward, especially with, um, Moro Diaz and Fabian Castillo, both on the field at the same time. Um, but I, I will say that United did a decent job for stretches of the game, um, really making it so that the only thing that, that, they could do as a team was essentially play through, you know, hope for one moment of, of brilliance from one of those guys. Um, and that didn't really come. Castillo tried to um, flick the ball over his head to uh, get past um, Taylor Kemp at one point. He, he pulled a, a basically a heel volley to up over his head, but the ball went too far. Um, and Castillo did have a couple other looks, but, to limit a team like Dallas to a lot of um, long range shots and Dallas is the best set team or last year, at least they were the best set team, uh, set piece team in MLS. And Bill Hamid did come up with a great save on a volley from a corner kick, but it was Dallas had four corners and that was the only real opportunity from those four, which against Dallas is pretty uh, a decent, right? It's not great. You don't want to give up any chances from a set piece, but um, keeping them with the delivery from Michelle and the, the number of tall players they have, keeping it to that one opportunity isn't too bad, all things considered. So um, I would say pretty good overall. Not not great, not spectacular, but um, if a team like Dallas is settling for a lot of shots from 20 yards, then you're doing something right. So so all in all, um, pretty satisfied, and uh, it's a good sign because in knockout competition, which is what's coming up. Um, you can't, you know, in the league, you can say, oh, we gave up a goal. Maybe we can fight our way back to 2-1. Um, if we give up a goal at RFK um, and we're down one nothing to Alajuelense, we're in uh, a pretty bad spot. So it's something we need to be strong at right away, and it looks like we're we're keeping that up despite having lost Enzo Concina or Concina. I don't know the Italian correct Italian pronunciation, but either way, he's, he's with Montreal now, which is great for them, but um, maybe not for us, but it looks like so far we haven't lost too much in that regard. It's funny in all the ways that he's with Montreal now really is similar to a euphemism for passing on to the next life. We sent him to a field upstate. Yeah. I, uh, Ben, Jason mentioned uh, a couple of Bill Hamid's big moments. How great is it to have Bill Hamid back between the sticks? And how great is Bill Hamid? I mean, he's the best goalkeeper in MLS right now, so it's pretty damn awesome. Uh, I particularly enjoyed Jason's description of his save, I believe, in the first game where he uh, disagreed with the fates and willed the ball back into the uh, run of play rather than letting it go into the goal. Um, and yeah, that's just a a apt, apt description of his skill. And the fact that he's doing this well this early in the preseason uh, is just a good sign that he's going to be able to 
keep up what he did last year, this year, and whenever United has to sell him to whatever league uh, is going to pay United a buttload of money, it'll be sad, but we should cherish every moment we have with Bill Hamid until that time. I should point out real quick that uh, Hamid's in a contract year, mm-hmm. um, so we may need to sign him to a future extension, Which and at this point... Um, if you're a goalkeeper of the year, you have every right to sit down at the table and ask for designated player money. Um, maybe not, um, you know, Kaká money, but certainly Eddie Johnson and Fabio Spindola money. Um, right. It also and, may be the case that Bill Hamid's just not interested in signing right. in a contract with MLS right now, which right. means that DC United has two choices when it comes to Bill Hamid's future. One is sell him this summer because he wants to go to Europe because – that is where he will test his skills against the best in the world. As far as MLS has come, obviously it's not on par with Premier League, Bundesliga, La Liga, and the like. And the other is Jurgen Klinsmann is probably telling him he needs to get to Europe. So if they sell him this summer, they can get the aforementioned buttload of money. But if they wait until next winter and let him go for free, DC United will presumably make him a bona fide offer and keep yeah. therefore keep his rights when he comes back to MLS. Well, assuming as that a that's even, hero. assuming that that's even a thing that stays in place after the uh, collective bargaining agreement. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I, I I would fully expect them to to sell him, which would mean it would probably we, happen this it's summer. Kind of, right. It, it's sort of a an opportunity deal where you know if you sell him, um, you're making a lot of money, even though. Uh, you've put yourself in a bad spot. It's just too much money to turn down. Um, but that's also maybe why you could see the team offering him more money than they would under normal circumstances, because yeah. even if you offer him a big contract and he gets paid X amount of dollars for the rest of the season, uh, that allows you to sell him in the winter, next winter, I mean, um, and make the uh, buttload of millions of dollars or, or however we're referring to to it. Um <laughs> And yes, you do lose some money in, against the cap in the short term, but you make money in the long term. And one thing that DC United has been good at over the years is finding a way to make money with transfer fees, um, sometimes in surprising fashion. But uh, it's going to be an interesting year for Hamid because it looks like as far as the goalkeeping side of things is going, uh, we shouldn't expect any any issues or any setbacks. But off the field, um, it's going to be big for both Um you're not just going to refine a Bill Hamid replacement. It's not going to be an easy thing to do. Uh, so United needs to look at that. They also probably need to, um, if they're doing due diligence, they need to have a backup plan in case he does go for free and, or, or if he gets, uh, if he leaves in the summertime, either way, um, because Dykstra's a, Andrew Dykstra's a good, uh, solid backup, but the step down from him, from Hamid to him would make a big difference uh, as far as the number of points we're, we're able to put up in the standings. Yeah, Bill Hamid is personally responsible for several – Yeah, personally and solely responsible for several points United got in the standings last year. So losing him would be a big deal. And, Turning, and, oh, regar- and regardless of how much money United might pay him, it would still be a better designated player contract than whatever the Galaxy gave to Omar Gonzalez. At this point, that is probably correct. At any point, but especially at this point. Let's turn our attention back down to Austin and turn to the uh, offensive side of the field. United scored three goals over these two games, 
and two of them were absolute golazos. They were wonder strikes. One from rookie um, Miguel Aguilar, who got the ball on the right, cut inside, watched the defender fall down in front of him, took the space, and just blasted a left-footed shot from just inside the 18-yard box uh, to the far post, curling it around. Well, I wouldn't even say it curled. It was just a straight rocket off his foot. The other was Chris Rolfe, who scored from 26 yards, a more curling effort, uh, also to the far post with his right foot. Uh, ben, who wore it better? Um, I would have to go with Miguel Aguilar. I mean, he's a rookie. It was his uh, first goal for United, and it, it was a great goal. I mean, we ex- like it was still a great goal from Chris Rolfe, but we kind of expect that kind of goal from him. So I think the shock value and the uh, impressiveness of it, I, I go with Miguel Aguilar. It's good to see from him, and it moved him back up from almost definitely being sent to Richmond to maybe he contribute at least a little bit this season. Yeah, I mean, when you're able to do that and you get that kind of space late in games when potentially when you're pushing for a goal against tired legs, even. Jason, do you think Aguilar makes sense as a late game attacking sub, especially coming in for Nick DeLeon, who over the last year anyway has been more conservative in that right midfield role? Uh, I mean, in theory, he makes sense. It's just an issue of of will Olsen be able to incorporate him into the 18. Um, if you have uh, Michael Farfan, for example, you can have him play three of the midfield positions that we have. Um, you're not going to play him as the most offensive midfielder uh, of the four, but the other three spots, he can play all of them. Um, so you, you've got a certain redundancy there. Rolf can play on the right as well. Um Pontius, uh, even Estrada, if, if Olsen uh, prefers the, the defensive side of things from Estrada, because that's the game, part of Aguilar's game that still is going to need some work. But I definitely think there are going to be games where it makes perfect sense to have Aguilar on the bench, um, even have him um, getting major minutes. Um, if we're playing a lesser team at RFK, there's no reason not to ha- you use that as an opportunity for an attacking player um, against a team that's maybe going to sit back um, and be conservative because you don't have as much to worry about defensively. Um, and, and you're also going to have maybe more to deal with uh, in terms – you're, you're going to need more goal threats uh, on the field to um, break through. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if the season opener for MLS play against Montreal is, is that sort of thing um, because Montreal, I think – I think they're aware that they are still, despite their signing every midfielder they can get their hands on, um, they're still not going to be that solid. They did sign um, Laurent Simon from the Belgian national team, uh, but they're going to partner him with Bakari Sumare, who uh, <laughs> I don't even know why they bothered with that. They cut Carl Wimet, a home, homegrown player, um, who at this point is no better or worse than – I mean, Sumare should be better than uh, Wimet, but at this point in Sumare's career, I don't – I don't know that that's a guarantee, uh, but anyway. Um, yeah, the other the other reason we might see him against Montreal is that the uh, both teams will be coming off of right. They'll they'll be playing their third game in ten days essentially. Yes. So so we could see very early squad rotation, oh, yeah. somewhat counterintuitively in the league opener. Well, I and because both us and Montreal will be playing 
on the Wednesday before and the win or Montreal has actually got a, an extra day of rest that we won't have because they play earlier in the champions league, but okay. um, midweek, midweek before midweek after that game. So uh, the game against Montreal, definitely. I, I don't expect to see uh, the full best 11, um, whatever that is at this point. Um, but, but uh, Aguilar, he could still play that game. It's interesting to note that Farfan has been in the middle both times um that he's appeared uh but he can he can definitely play on the right and um depending on who's fit and and the fitness side of things we may see him on the right we may see Aguilar get a start against the impact um and if if we do we kind of have to go for uh winning that game by just scoring a lot of goals at that point um that has to be the mindset um if that's the the case uh but but it's still a nice a nice thing to have in your pocket to have various different sorts of players to play one position. You don't just have to say we have this guy starter and then this guy's very similar, but he's just not as good. Um, if we have different options, it, it's sort of like diversifying your portfolio. If you invest, are you saying you got to diversify your bonds B? Uh, yes. Are we, are uh, we talking always, are we talking about a should, bronze again? We should always no. This is uh, bearer bonds are not coming up. We're, we're I'm going to no. resist that temptation. <laughs> we're we're talking about the advice of the Jizza, and you should always listen to him. Well, that's true. Remember, tax season is coming up, and and Wu Tang Financial is comes yeah. highly recommended. Uh, I mentioned two of the goal scorers, Aguilar and Rolf. There was a third goal scorer, and it was Connor Doyle who finished a very he made it look actually pretty easy. It was a breakaway and he managed just to, to curl the ball around the keeper when he was in alone on goal. Um, I think Jason, you called it a cruel finish because it was a nice slow roller to the back post. Um, and it was, it was a good finish from Doyle. So uh, good to see him on the board. Hopefully he manages to, to be a little bit more goal dangerous in 2015 than he was, especially last year uh, in less good news. Davey Arnault managed to keep his perfect streak alive this preseason, drawing yellow in every single appearance he makes. Ben, are you worried about Davey Arnault? We thought that it might just be because Perry Kitchen wasn't on the field uh, to, to kind of provide defensive balance, and he was playing alongside Marcus Halstey, who, who we didn't have that rapport with. But Kitchen was back this week, and... Arno still managed to get a yellow in half an hour on Friday and in 70 minutes on Sunday. I'm not terribly worried yet because he's basically taking all of the yellow cards that Perry Kitchen got last year. So if it's just a straight trade-off, it's not that big of a deal, but it is a little worrisome and maybe he's pressing a little bit because he knows that Marcus Halstey is coming for his job and... Uh, if Steve Birnbaum is healthy, then it, then Arno is probably on the bench and Halstead is in the midfield. So he might be pressing a little too much to try and prove himself, to try and get himself back on the field. So he's a savvy veteran, so I'm not too worried about it, but I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens if he gets him. Obviously if he gets himself two yellows or a red card, then he may have to sit for other reasons rather than well, just at, the fact that Marcus Halstead is better than him. At this rate, after if he still has the starting gig after five games, he's going to be sitting on a yellow card suspension. Exactly. And, but, and the fastest yellow card suspension in league history. Right. But luckily, 
at least this year, we have some center midfield depth that we didn't have last year, so it's not as big of a deal. But yes, if he's on that route, I think he's going to be sat uh, much faster than he'll be able to get to that uh, yellow card suspension. Jason, what else from this weekend's games jumped out to you? Uh, I suppose one thing I will say, uh, going back for a second on the which goal was better question, I would actually go with Roth. Um, Roth, Roth put Walker Zimmerman on the ground, which is pretty awesome. Um, and anytime you add in that level of, uh, not just beating somebody, but like kind of humiliating them, uh, it's pretty awesome when it's, when it's your team doing that. Um, overall though, I kind of was a little nervous about the fact that we're sort of reliant on these great goals. Even the, um, the Doyle goal, you know, it required Jairo Arrieta to sort of, um, show a little more passing range than we're used to seeing from him. He's not necessarily a assist man. He doesn't set up that many goals. Um, so that's, so that's something to, to look out for. We, we're not going to get goals like Rolf or Aguilar's goals, or even the, the, the diving header from Pontius against Orlando. That's not going to happen very often. Um, so you, you've got, I, I mentioned this uh, on Twitter that you've got to mix in some garbage goals and it's not just a, um, you know, I'm not just trying to be cute. I really mean that a good team doesn't just score spectacular goals every time because you can't always rely on that because there's so many things that can go wrong with a spectacular goal. That's why they're spectaculars because they're rare and they're difficult. Um, you've got to score some goals where things look kind of easy for you. You make it easy on yourselves. Um, so, so that's one thing I'd like to see. Uh, but on the other hand, against Malmo, um, especially there were chances that were wasted and Nick DeLeon wasted one very early against Dallas as well, where um, it was sort of, a, it would have been a standard goal. It wouldn't have been anything special. It just would have been, a, you know, DC United did a good job as a group and scored a goal as a result. That's what you want to see um, more often. Um, and it is kind of funny that there, all those chances seem to be falling to Nick DeLeon, um, who maybe at this point is suffering from a, the kind of thing you see from like a striker that's in a, uh, in a drought is, is you start to get inside your own head. Um, the header against Malmo, he just snapped his head too early and sent it wide. Um, this chance against FC Dallas, he just opted for power when he had multiple, he, he had, um, the, who was in goal at the time for Dallas, um, Dan Kennedy, mm -hmm. Dan Kennedy was, was sort of stranded at that point, just hoping that the shot would hit him or go wide. And De Leon opted to blast it. And he shot it wide. He shot it wide enough that Kennedy didn't have to make a save. Well, I think um, part of the issue on that one, it looked like the ball actually caught in the turf just a little bit and got stuck under his feet on one of the replays. And right. and De Leon should be good enough to to handle right. that, especially uh, when he's at his best. He he just runs with it and rounds the keeper, but he he he's rushing things a little bit right yeah. now it seems. And and that's that's kind of the the sort of goal that we need to start putting away because if you start scoring the goals from the chances where you didn't have to be spectacular. You're scoring goals earlier. You're giving yourself. You're you're setting yourself up for an easier game at that point. You don't have to run around so much. Um, if you're if you get up and, and last year DC, um, there was an article maybe two weeks ago on on the MLS uh, headquarters website, um, about how United had taken the lead La last year. They took the lead ten times in the first half hour, and they won every single one of those games. And that doesn't just set you up for that day that sets you up long-term when you've got 50 competitive games or, or however many we end up with this year. Um, it's easier to defend the new attack. You have to do less running. It's less demanding on your body. 
And getting early leads this season, it's going to add up down the road so that when the playoffs come, we're not looking at a team like Kansas City, for example, last year, uh, looked dead on their feet. They made the playoffs, but they just couldn't do it. They were helpless once they got there. Um, I will say it's easier to defend than to press for an attack, press right. for a goal. If, you, if you're defending uh, against a team that's really good with the ball, you're going to run a lot more than you would if you're attacking. All the, or yeah. if you if you are possessing the ball, well, it's, it's all, yeah, it's always worse to be without the ball defending because all you're doing is running. It's mentally very taxing. Mm-hmm. Um, in this case, the idea is we'll still be possessing the ball, but uh, we don't necessarily have to uh, um, chase a goal. We don't have to say, oh, we have to go find a goal to win the game because we get to pick our chances, basically. Yeah, and and you don't have to wait for somebody um, talented to do something really special when you can just play. Uh, an easier version of soccer. You don't have to make it so hard on yourselves. Um, and and Ben Olsen is big on talking about making things easy um, and rewarding yourself is, is a common phrase that he uses. Um, and, and that's something I would like to see compared to the preseason games is that uh, we did kind of make it hard work. We had to rely on, on moments that we're not going to see every week. Um, even with Chris Roth and Fabian Espindola, guys that can do special things, they don't do them all the time. Um, so hopefully that's the next step is that we just start seeing, for lack of a better way to put it, boring goals, you know, goals where you're like, oh, good, we scored and that's it. You don't say, I can't believe I saw this goal that happened, um, because those goals are rare and I don't want goals to be rare, uh, in general. I want us to score plenty of goals and not just the special ones. Yeah, I will say those special goals tend to happen more with teams that score more goals just because there's more There, there's a greater number of chances, and some of them are going to be spectacular. Like Ovi, Alex Ovechkin in the hockey context, his famous the sliding goal where he's on his back against the the Phoenix Coyotes. That was the I think the fourth goal in a five goal route in that right. game. So you, you score a lot of goals, and you're going to get your spectacular goals. You're just also going to have a lot of run of the mill goals, which are worth every bit as much on the score sheet. Right. Let's turn our attention now to the roster where we have some updates from DC United over the last week. Uh, Miguel Aguilar, who scored that ridiculous left-footed goal, has signed a contract. He will be on the team this year. His fellow rookie draftee, uh, Dan Metzger, the the guy out of the defensive midfielder out of the University of Maryland, Jason, I'm sorry, he will not be with the team this year. He's been released from camp. Sounds like he's got some suitors at the NASL or USL level uh, waiting for him, though. So good luck to Dan Metzger. Uh, Ben, were you surprised to see Metzger let go? I was a little bit surprised after he got drafted and they talked up his uh, non-relationship with the New York Red Bulls. But looking in a little more deeply, it's been a long time since a DC United second round pick has not only made the team, but just made MLS in general. Uh, it's been since Chris Korb was drafted by DC United in the second round. After him, no DC United second round pick or later has even just made MLS, and that was in 2011. So it's a sign that the draft is becoming a little less important. It's the sign that academies are becoming a little more important. And when you take a, a step back, it's not... That's surprising. So I wish Dan Metzger the best. I hope he eventually gets back to MLS and has a MLS career, but I'm fine with it not happening with DC United. 
Another trialist on his way out is Andrew Driver, who came over from the Houston Dynamo in the trade that sent Joe Willis, another later round draftee for DC United, who did pretty well in the league. That same draft as Chris Corb? Yeah, he was a third rounder that year, I think. Something Uh, like that. Yeah, he and Samuel Lincoln, the Ghanaian international fullback slash midfielder, uh, both went to Houston. Inkum was never in Houston's plans. He has been cut loose, and so has Andrew Driver. So it ended up being a trade that got United a late-round draft pick and the ability to protect Taylor Kemp and Davey Arnault eventually in the expansion draft. And the Houston Dynamo got themselves a goalkeeper to give Tyler Derrick some competition there for them. Um, we also saw some new trialists come into camp to replace these dear departed players. Uh, one is Luke Mishu, who saw time at left back in both games down in Austin. Uh, he was the gentleman with the, the bandana on the long flowing locks and the, the head. Some people called it a headscarf, which I think is a fun way to describe it. The other is goalkeeper Scott Goodwin, who we did not see on the field because it was time for Dykstra and Hamid to finally get some time. Uh, Jason, what do you know about Mishu and Goodwin? Uh, Mishu was supposedly uh, pretty much a straight-up right back um, coming out of college. He went to Notre Dame. Um, RSL had him on trial, um, supposedly playing right back. Uh, I didn't see those games, but he was listed in that in that role. Um, most of the – and our uh, frequent guest – I think he's our most frequent guest, uh, Travis Clark um, and Top Drawer Soccer. Those guys had him going in the first two rounds, so um, – so, someone with at least uh, a decent chance of, of making it as a professional soccer player. Um, we're a little thin at fullback, so anyone that, that um, is decent in that role is going to get at least a look. Um, and so far, he's played all right. He hasn't done anything special. It's been sort of a play-within-himself um, sort of thing. Um, as far as Goodwin goes, I do know that he played uh, – he was the goalkeeper uh, for the, Rail, the Carolina Railhawks last season in the Open Cup when they beat uh, Chivas USA. Um, and I think there was some sort of issue where their goalkeeper was suspended or injured or something, and he stepped in and played pretty well. Um, but that's the only time I ever saw him. Um, I know I, – I think he's like 6'5 or 6'6. He's a big guy, even amongst goalkeepers. Um but uh, he's still young, uh, 22 or 23, I think. So uh, a lot of potential for the future. But also, um, Travis Wara got a chance to play uh, for United and actually looked pretty decent as well uh, in the first the the Florida portion of uh, camp. So it's not going to be easy for Goodwin, even though he has that extra year of professional play. Um, it's going to be an interesting thing because it looks like United's just really good at finding goalkeepers who have gone under the radar that are young that could. Um, become something more uh wara it it does seem like maybe there's a little joe willis there where he's an undrafted player out of a school that doesn't produce a lot of um or a lot of uh, any mls players Mm -hmm. um and and maybe goodwin is a similar case and it's sort of um picking between two guys that uh got overlooked because this is a big country with a ton of players and you find that guys slip through the cracks all the time um just as an example, Sebastian Velasquez, who's now with New York, um, RSL drafted him out of, uh, I believe it's Spartanburg Community College in South Carolina. Um, and it was a situation where he was uh, he had played with Luis Gill at some point when they were younger. 
And somehow or other that got to the front office and they said, you know, go scout this guy. And now he's a professional player in MLS. He uh, actually New York, if I'm not mistaken, played him as their attacking midfielder mm-hmm. in their last friendly with mixed discaroo playing um, a more of a shuttling role. So uh, the guys, these guys are everywhere. And maybe with Goodwin or with Wara, one of those two, maybe that's the case that we found someone that slipped through the cracks, but, but shouldn't have, have slipped through the cracks. And maybe we're just a, uh, a little sharper at, at scouting young players and other people, which would be a nice thing to be because we can't afford to compete in a lot of cases with some of these other teams. Financially, I mean. That's it for the roster updates. We don't have any big ones. There's no new news on Eddie Johnson at this point. No, Zlatan. No Zlatan coming to the U.S., although he did a pretty cool thing for to, to promote awareness of, of world hunger and some other things. Go look that up if you haven't seen it yet. Um we're going to talk about broader MLS now to end the show. So if you only care about DC United, this is the part where you, you know, find another show to No, to it's not. You spend listen. Some time. You listen because I told you to listen. <laughs> you listen to the end, damn it. Zlatan uh, says so. A couple weeks ago, uh, Ryan Kiefer, who writes for the site and who you've heard on this podcast, uh, linked to or, and wrote about a new uh, interpretation of Offside that pro and actually all of FIFA, it turns out, will be implementing this year. Uh, that is not the only change in in what MLS referees are going to be emphasizing this year. And um, our sister site, the Benton Musket, actually spoke with a ref who's been down in the, the PRO training camp because they go through a preseason camp as well. Uh, and he, he told them some of the things they're going to be focusing on this year. Um, the first is that offside interpretation, which last year there was a new interpretation as well that was a little bit silly. I thought this one makes a lot more sense to me. And this year, if you are in an offside position and you don't actually touch the ball, but you do something that affects the ability of a defender or the goalkeeper to play the ball, you will be considered offside. That's That's the new reading. Last year there is a goal that Harrison Ship scored for Chicago where he kind of lobbed it through yeah. and Mike McGee was in an offside position, acted like he was going to play the ball, completely froze the keeper and the ball rolls past the keeper when McGee never touches it. He never touched it. So under last year's interpretation, he was not offside. This year, however, that kind of deception would make him active in the play and, and render him offside. I think it makes a lot of sense, Jason. Yeah, it, it streamlines things. Um, it, it takes a judgment out of uh, referees' hands. They don't have to have that extra thing to consider. Um, at this point, you don't have to say, oh, is this guy passive or not? You just say, look, uh, he's in the way. He's he's blocking someone's vision. Um, he's well, motion- blocking someone's vision was considered active by a lot of refs, but this one is more making an, a deliberate deception. Right. So if you, if you dummy the ball or if you just stand in the way of the ball um, on its way in, uh, you're in the way. And that should have been offside last year. I don't really know what they were thinking with the rule they had last year. And this year it's it's a little more cut and dry. It's a little easier for the calls to be made. Um, offside's always going to be a difficult thing to call anyway. So anytime you can remove some layer of um, judgment and and the thought process. If you can streamline that, it's going to be more accurate, hopefully. Um, so so I can't really come up with a problem with it. I think it's definitely a better way of looking at the, ro- the law than it was before, where it was a, 
it became kind of chaos at certain times. There were a lot of goals last year, not just in MLS, but all across the world where um, the, the, the defending team was left. Uh, the, the offside law was working against the defensive team um, because of the amount of things that you could do without, oh, I didn't touch the ball, therefore I'm not offside. Um, so mm-hmm. this year it's, it's much more of a uh, reasonable, it's easier for everyone. So so. For once, uh, I think maybe FIFA has gotten something correct in streamlining something that was needlessly complicated. I mean, it it's correcting a mistake that they made, but it's something. Yeah, and I will say, I know a lot of people, they they want more scoring, and so they say, why not loosen the offside, the interpretation of the offside law to make it easier to score goals like the one Harry, Harrison Shipp scored? And the reason why you don't want to do that necessarily is because offside, uh, as a concept, promotes defenses pushing up and taking risks to push the other team into an offside position. And if you take away the reward of the offside flag, essentially, it makes it more likely that teams on the margin will not step up, will instead step back and defend deeper and make it harder for everyone to score and to play good soccer. So the offside law, somewhat counterintuitively, promotes better soccer. And Last year's weird interpretation was was that any time a defender deliberately played the ball, which they interpreted to be attempted to play the ball or did anything other than ricochet a ball that they didn't know was coming at them, it was considered to reset the offside play. So if there was a ball you couldn't quite reach, but you lunged for it and and kicked it and obviously tried to kick it, it just didn't go the direction you wanted it to that was considered resetting the play. And if you knocked it directly to a player who would have been offside, but was in behind the defense, all of a sudden he's one-on-one with the keeper. And there were some goals scored last year that way that were just really nonsensical. I don't know if they're changing that interpretation this year, but I really hope they are because that was a stupid way to interpret the offside rule. Um, One of the other points that, that MLS is going to make this year, I think is, a lot of people are going to think of it as mana from heaven if if the refs actually follow through with it. And that is a focus on persistent infringement this year. MLS has been really bad about allowing little niggling fouls to keep stacking up. You see a player with six, seven, eight fouls in a game who doesn't see a yellow card over the course of 90 minutes. And it's it's dumb. It's, it's a way to, to break up the flow of the game and basically live outside the law in a sense, for for that defensive player. And Jason, I know you were that guy when you played, but at the professional level, you don't want to see I, see that. that always, that's where persistent infringement is designed to stop that kind right. of behavior. And, and I always stuck to the, the idea of uh, don't start none, won't be none. Um, <laughs> in which case, uh, basically it came to if the other team was not going to foul, then I was not going to foul. But if they were going to start fouling uh, to stop attacks, then uh, they're going to get their own medicine. Um, but, uh, I suppose it's for the best. It certainly helps, uh, DC United, I think, because we play in a conference with the Philadelphia union, uh, who oftentimes against United love to reduce the game down to, um, set piece battle rather than actual soccer. Or um, right. Uh, well, another, we were guilty of that too. Right. And Carlos so Valdez has, has, has once again um, left uh, the union because I guess he only wants to play for them three or four games at a time over a given year. Um, so he, he's going to be playing at Uruguay, so we don't have to worry about that. Um, 
but but it's definitely better for promoting attacking soccer. Um, I don't think anyone in particular, I, I, or at least I should say, there are very few people out there who sit around hoping to see a game in which there are 35 or 40 fouls. Uh, all of them, or most of them, happening in the, the middle third where the free kick isn't even going to be dangerous. Um, it, it's just not very fun to watch. It, it ruins the flow of the game. It makes the game seem long. Um, when all you're doing is watching guys pick themselves up off the ground and argue with referee, it's just, it's no fun for anyone. And, and ultimately if you're not having fun watching sports, then I, you can go find that there's books and, and other things to do. Um, what are so, these books you speak of? Uh, yeah, I, I've got a stack of four completely unread books that I've been meaning to read for some time now. Um, so, so I, I guess I shouldn't bring them up as a thing you can do, but maybe I'm just having too much fun watching soccer. There you um, go. So, so hopefully it will actually be applied. Um, no one wants to see uh, someone kick someone nine times and still be on the field. Uh, at a certain point, you have to uh, not do that so that both teams have to engage in actually constructing some sort of attacking move rather than just simply knocking each other down and saying, okay, now, now figure out what you're going to do. Yeah, the downside to this focus on persistent infringement is if the players know about it, they will start counting fouls that the other team is committing at the referee, and that just looks petulant well, and annoying. So is it, that's the is downside. One of the other um, things that they have said they're going to focus on was dissent, um, spe specifically in terms of gestures. Um, and I do think that players need to be given some way to blow off steam. I, I'm not saying they should go yell at the referee or anything, but if a guy like angrily throws his hands up in frustration at a referee's call um the way they're talking that might be so someone that can get yellow carded um and i think you've got to let players blow that blow that steam off a little bit because they'll take it out on each other um if you if you just are stuck bottling up your anger at your frustration at the referee um eventually someone's going to do something else uh, someone's going to be near you and and we've seen soccer players kick each other enough times to know that what happens is uh player a will kick player b as a result of their being frustrated no one really enjoys seeing watching a player count you know 20 times you know make up the number of times they've been fouled i know portland loves to say that darlington nagby has been fouled 600 times by the second minute of every game um it's not necessarily true um but it is it is maybe better um or at least it's more of a challenge, I guess, for the fouling team, because now they're, if they want to say, OK, um, we're going it, to it's sort of like a basketball thing where uh, you can't a certain guy will get on four fouls instead of five and you'll see somebody else have to pick up the fouling slack, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe teams have to go through that. But that makes it harder to be that team. And that's a good thing. Um, it, it's a it dissuades teams from playing that way. It says, you know, if you played a different way, maybe you'd have more success than trying to say, uh everyone on the team commits three fouls, but no one commits the fourth, for example. Right. Yeah. No, I, I think this is a great a step in a really great direction. And I hope that the refs follow through with it. I was just trying to come up with a downside. And if the biggest <laughs> downside is players uh, going Sesame street on the field and counting to four, then, then I think that's a pretty good trade-off. Uh, the last change that the PRO is considering, and this is just a preseason thing for right now, but we might see more of it in the future is new concussion protocol, where if there is a player with a suspected concussion, he can be pulled off the field and a basically a temporary substitute can be placed in for up to 12 minutes. And while the player with the suspected concussion um, basically undergoes the concussion protocol to determine whether he 
has a, a severe head injury that he should not play through. And if he's cleared, then he can come back in within that 12-minute window. If not, then the substitution, I think, would become permanent. So it's a way to basically not create a situation where coaches and players feel like they have to get on the field if they've suffered, even if they've suffered a head injury. They can go through the proper uh, protocol and and take care of themselves. And that will be good because that will mean fewer cases like Brian Namoff, who was forced to retire because he played through a concussion a few times, potentially. So it's, I, I think that's a good idea um, that unfortunately we have to think about. I know this is how they do it in rugby sevens, um, which is kind of cool. I think theirs is a shorter time period. It's not 12 minutes, but it is, I think, a really good idea, Ben. Yeah, I, I, I agree in general that there should definitely be some sort of rule change to take into account concussions. Uh, this is one good thing to, to uh, experiment with. Uh, there might be other uh, versions of that rule, too, to experiment with as well. Maybe uh, just adding another substitution only for injuries could be a, a way to, to experiment with. But you've got to try these different things and see how they work and see what both keeps the safety of the player at the paramount, but also and then secondary to that doesn't affect the play of the game after that. So yeah, th I think it's a great thing to experiment with and experiment with a couple of other options and then see what works the best and implement that. All right. Last topic tonight is bookies and MLS odds. Uh, a, a bookmaker in Las Vegas, Las Vegas Superbook, has released the early odds to win MLS Cup 2015. And this is, I admit, an incredibly stupid conversation. Here's the thing about, about it, though. It's a conversation. It's, it's fun to have. It's, it's stupid and meaningless what these odds are right now because so many things are going to change between now and December that – it's impossible to predict who had DC United winning the Eastern conference last year, who had new England going to, to MLS cup. I would say who had LA winning it, but that was probably quite a lot of people actually. Um, this year's odds are out and some of them are, are pretty funny. Um, NYC FC sitting basically tied for six highest odds or six best odds to win at 15 to one tied with Toronto FC. NYCFC, an expansion team, Toronto, never made the playoffs, and they're both sitting there above a team like FC Dallas, who I think actually is a dark horse to come out of the West and has a pretty good shout at, at claiming MLS Cup. Uh, ben, what do you think is the funniest thing about these odds? Ooh, the funniest thing. I mean, the funniest thing. Ooh, I think the funniest thing is just what you said that NYCFC and Toronto FC are ranked the same. Uh, and the fact that Columbus Crew are also at the same odds, 15 to 1. You combine two of the most ridiculously derpy franchises this offseason, and in the case of TFC, every offseason, with the paragon of stolidness and boringness and consistency in Columbus Crew. And just the fact that they're all ranked at the same odds is just kind of hilarious to me. And the fact that Columbus is above lots of other people. I mean, I know they got, I know they're fine, but uh, I don't, especially after seeing them in the uh, Armadillo Cup, I, <laughs> I don't know if I see them as being that good this year, but whatever. The, uh, objective 
uh, measures of good and bad are not what betting odds are about. So it's not really a big deal. No, that's right. And and betting odds are designed to make the bookkeepers money. That's what they're there for. Exactly. And and so to do that is they take teams that have an objectively lower chance but are popular or that will draw a lot of action. Like NYCFC and Toronto FC. Exactly. They both have big names. They make big signings. Therefore, a lot of people are saying they are going to do well. And so they end up higher up than they should. Um, the top of the list is LA at three to one, Seattle at nine to two, New England eight to one, and DC United nine to one. Those are the top four in this. And after that, it goes to 12 to one for RSL and then down to the 15s and 20s and 25s and, and beyond. Jason, if you have to pick someone in the, the wrong half of this list, who are you taking? If you have to put money on oh, somebody. Let's see. Um, just. Judging from the visual, uh, since it, it's divided into two columns of ten, the uh, tweet that came out, I'm look, that's what I'm looking at. Yeah. Um, I'll use uh, – this is for everyone that's 25 or above 20 to 1. So Kansas City jumps in with the other column because them and uh, Dallas were tied for ninth. Mm-hmm. Um, so from, from 25 to 1 down, um, Vancouver is probably not the, like, 15th or 16th worst team in MLS. Um they're not going to win MLS Cup, but they're definitely going to do a lot better than 30 to one would indicate. Um, Portland, uh, maybe if they've sorted out their defensive problems, finally uh-huh. net net uh-huh. Borchers is there. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. I think with Borchers, there's a there's a one or two year window for Portland to possibly succeed before he gets too old to uh, to to play at the same level. Um, but we've seen 33 year olds uh, suddenly hit a wall uh, here in DC, so maybe not. Um, but yeah, those are the two that jump out at me as teams that, uh, are pretty badly, um, underrated here. Um, a lot of the other names here are clearly not going to do anything. And I'm talking of course about like Philly, Montreal, um, Chicago, I guess is kind of a wild card because they've just replaced everyone on their team. Um, (laughs) there are a bunch of guys that have never played in MLS, so it's hard to say what they're going to do. Um, clearly probably not that well. Right, but they, they, you know they're one of the lowest-rated teams. Um, they're forty to one, uh, which which might be a little harsh. But then I mean, are they, are they better than anyone else above them? Probably not. So um, Vancouver and Portland look uh, out of that long shot group. They look like the the people that uh, the teams that might actually be worth uh, some thought if you are a degenerate gambler, which I'm sure some of our listeners are, and we love them just like we love. All our other listeners. Just don't get your kneecaps broken. Yeah, and unless you're a fan of the Galaxy, uh, don't don't put any money on LA at three to one. That's just a, a yeah, that's dumb. really dumb. And if you're, thing, not... Gal- if you're a fan of the Galaxy, why why are you why are you existing? Why are you listening to us? Hey, we accept why? all our listeners. Do we even Galaxy fans? Do we? We do. Okay. And on that note of love and acceptance, I think we're going to call it quits for today because obviously something's gone wrong if we're saying we love and accept Gal- even Galaxy fans. Um, you'll notice I, I didn't I, say Red Bulls fans because I, I, I didn't. Let's say be it. straight. I didn't say it. Hey, Adam, you said that. <laughs> Don't say we. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening. Find <laughs> us at blackandredunited.com. We're on Twitter. At filibuster DCU, at black and red U. Send your hate mail to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on iTunes. We are on Stitcher. We are on SoundCloud. Uh, but mostly people find out about us when you tell your friends. So be sure to do that. We will 
talk to you next week when we hope to have a, a pretty exciting guest on to help us preview the MLS Eastern Conference. So until then, for Jason and Ben, I'm Adam. Say goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, Jason. He didn't die this time, guys. He's still here.